Where was there left for Torchwood to go after Children of Earth, its third series, after it had been promoted year after year all the way up to the BBC One, after it had gotten so highly commended and acclaimed and recognised, and after it concluded its character stories with such utter finality? Where else but America? Just about two years to the exact day after Children of Earth premiered came Torchwood Miracle Day, a co-production between the BBC and the American premium cable channel stars, set primarily in America, with new American lead characters, including one played by Bill Pullman, famously the American president in the very American movie Independence Day, and new American writers and all that jazz. Like Children of Earth, the whole Miracle Day series centered on the one big story, the one big idea, what if one day everybody on Earth stopped dying? What if nobody could die? With double the episode order of Children of Earth, so 10 episodes in full, it then set out to explore the possibilities and ramifications of an immortal human race with conspiracy shenanigans and media craziness and very little of the sort of alien hijinks that Torchwood used to feature, but a lot more of the American thriller and American sci-fi hijinks the show was inspired by in the first place. While it started out being received well, the prevailing critical consensus ended up being, and still is generally, that it went off the rails, and the fact that a fifth season never came to pass on television was, in fact, no enormous loss. But what did we think of the series in general? Should we start with the Scottish woman, the British man, or would it be most appropriate to start with the American? I nominate the American. Same. American, what do you think? I think it's interesting you didn't go with the gender for me. Ah! Uh. <laughs> Miracle Day, Miracle Day. Now this was, I got a history with this show. I watched it and didn't much care for it, and that's the history. But then again, that's the American history of Torchwood in general. Mm -hmm. But to be more serious, this was 2011. This was right when Moffat was making the big American push for Doctor Who, the push that inevitably got me as well. And with Miracle Day, even though it's a, Davies production, sort of, and I'm sure we'll get into that de uh, later in greater detail. Miracle Day is tensely American, not just set in America and uh, co-produced, but goes to uh, extraordinary lengths to really address things that were going on in the United States in 2011. Uh, things political and cultural and sociological, things that we're still dealing with today. Uh, healthcare... Same-sex marriage. Concentration camps? Concentration camps, yeah, thank you. I'm trying to avoid that topic until later. It's powerful stuff, and when it's on form, uh, it is, I think, one of the best Doctor Who productions that have ever been. The yeah. highlights of Miracle Day are so wonderful and sick and horrible in all the best ways. But when it falls apart, oh boy, does it fall apart. I mean, this is stratospheric highs and abyssal lows is the only way I can refer to it, is the only way I can describe Miracle Day. Yeah. Which makes it a good companion to Series 6. Yeah. What did the British think? I feel like I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it. I thought it was, well... <laughs> Most of it, anyway. But I feel like that it's it's a show that doesn't hold up to rewatch. Um, yeah. Because because I really really enjoy the character stuff. I love what it does for the original Torchwood cast. But when it comes to anything plot related or even 
Americans related, no offence, Mirrors. Um, I I just don't have any interest in it. And that's only on a rewatch when I was first going through it, uh, which was pretty recently, my first time watching it. I I was enthralled by it, even when it wasn't at its sort of um, peak quality. I was like, well, this seems to be going somewhere really interesting. So, um, so I was excited, and then I got to the finale, and it it didn't go anywhere at all. <laughs> so, yeah. so when I rewatch it, I struggle to care about the plot specifically because I know that it ends so shittily. But I still really, really love all the sort of character moments. I, th- I think that's great, and uh, there there's still stuff to appreciate about it. But it's kind of like one of those things that don't bother rewatching all of it because it's really not worth it. That's what I think. <laughs> Unless you're Neil, who thinks it's the greatest thing ever oh, created. I wouldn't put it that far, but Gig, yeah, you would. what do you think? <laughs> well, if you, having binged it, if you thought the finale made it retroactively not worth watching, imagine having watched it one episode a week for ten weeks. Mm. Yeah, imagine having spent that whole time wondering where it's going to go, how it's going to end, what the mystery behind the miracle and the three families, what it's all going to come down to, and getting that. So, suffice to say, I hadn't revisited Miracle Day in like the eight years since it originally premiered. But um, binging through it now, while, yeah, a lot of it is kind of tinged with that, knowing it doesn't ultimately go anywhere, that also removes a lot of the expectations that maybe people went into it with originally. So, I was sort of able to dismiss a lot of it and a lot of it is dismissible a lot of the stuff feels like padding some of it's quite turgid subplots with the american characters yeah and the american characters themselves are quite relatively two-dimensional compared to say gwen and jack and reese and so on and even pc andy (laughs) but um uh i did find that um the the two episodes that are sort of considered really good ones so the ones where the ovens are revealed and the one with jack's flashback those are two yes. those are yes. those still hold up those are still oh, yeah. two very good episodes um i found that i maybe found that the ovens episode wasn't quite as amazing as i remembered it being maybe just because it's so saturated yeah. in miracle dayiness now whereas the jack flashback episode is still really good but one one episode that i enjoyed more than i thought i would was the plain one and yes. stuff Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, stuff like the, the plane hijinks. Like, there was there was more of that stuff than I remembered. And so, the thing is, the series is capable of being fun and entertaining when it needs to be. And I think if you could really... Some people say, like, well, yeah, okay, it was too long. It should have just been Children of Earth length. But I think you could snip it down maybe only, like, one or two episodes shorter and get a much more coherent series while still telling the same overall arc. Oh, yeah. What's interesting when we talk about episode orders is that I see a lot of fan wisdom that uh, there's even rumours originally it was plotted out to be five episodes and then expanded out which kind of makes sense because you see there are so many filler episodes where you know very little happens or at least the drama doesn't really move forward episodes two three four six isn't that eight uh, isn't that the uh, conclusion that uh, Elle came to on her uh, eruditorum coverage of well what's fascinating is it's completely and utterly wrong the original episode order wasn't five episodes and it wasn't ten episodes when they were originally breaking the season so this was when chris chibnall was involved which was only very Uh, very, it was going to be 22 episodes it was for 13 episodes oh god when they broke the story it was plotted out for 13 and they still have plot beats that you know there's a 13th episode that was set basically after the finale we got which was like a coda of everyone reacting to 
uh, death coming back into the world. And then what would happen is the blessing would expand outward and start inverting and start killing everyone in its radius. And uh, they'd have to try and oh. stop that. And they'd do that by nuking Shanghai. Oh, that was- Jesus! Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Uh-oh. This was the original planned finale for Miracle Day before they moved it down to 10 episodes from Stars' Order. Are you talking shit? Is, is any word of what you just said, is any single word of that you just said true at all? Swear to God, you can listen to the episode 10 commentary. In episode 7, where Reese and the family are held hostage, that now happens off stage and, and gets solved very quickly. In the 13-episode version, that was a lot you know what? bigger. Nice, this sequence. This was always the point, do you remember? Mm-hmm. Way back when we plotted this with Jane Esmondson and Chris Chibnall, it wasn't about Shanghai and it wasn't about Buenos Aires and it wasn't about three families and it wasn't about any of that. It was about this moment of bringing death back to the world. Well, when it was a 13-part series, there was a whole episode virtually that was the Coda episode mm. of people dying and how it changes the world. I kind of miss that episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's compacted into... Yeah, I, uh, I wish we'd had longer with that. I always wish. We never got into that. I always... Want, in the 13-part version, this all ended in episode 12. Mm. And in my favourite version, then the blessing went into reverse in episode 13. They started mm. killing everyone. Mm. That was fantastic. And they that is literally... So they were having to like, drop a nuke on Shanghai and things like mm. that. There was no way of stopping it. it and it, it's sort of malign influence was spreading out. Do you remember like mm, yeah, it was spreading out in a circle at, at a millimetre at a time, mm. but would never stop, would mm. cover the entire world. And if you stood in that field, you were dead. Oh, it mm. was good. Damn. It was really good. And I was the evil voice that thought it wouldn't work. Yeah. Because it was good. I, I still love it, but I didn't think we could do justice to that in one episode. No. I don't mean production-wise, I mean story-wise. No, I, I gave up on it because I literally thought it was breaking any budget. Mm. I mean, literally, it was nuking Shanghai and doing things Yes, that it just, felt, it felt a bit too mad. That is insane. Yep. <laughs> New King Shanghai. <laughs> I just, I just, 43 minutes in the commentary, Julie Garner and Russell T. Davies. Jesus. That whole thing about the blessing inverting and killing everyone, you know what that reminds me of? The series one finale of Torchwood with Abaddon popping up and slaughtering the entirety of Cardiff. It's just the sort of stuff that I just don't think Torchwood should do. Where Miracle Day sort of does feel off to me and the same reason that... um. Whatchamacallit, what's the season one finale called? End of, End of Days. And, wow, I think you just said it as well. I immediately forgot it. Anyway, um, when it comes to something really big and... It's very forgettable. Yeah, I'll, ex- I'll exclude the 456 in this because the 456 was like... Um, well, I'll see that in a minute, actually. Anyway, I feel like when things get to large scale, it just... I don't know. It's not that it doesn't work for a Torchwood, it's just becomes a bit mm, I don't know it loses the charm of it because well, well no go, well. Finish, finish your thought either <laughs> Russell thought uh, you'll enjoy oh boy okay I hope it doesn't contradict everything I'm saying anyway I feel like <laughs> don't inhale like that <laughs> meaningfully anyway I feel like it works a really small scale and part of the charm mm. as of Torchwood, especially for example in series one and series two, is that it's just it's it's smaller. They're just dealing with sort of day to day things. Um whereas like also the the bigger stuff, like theoretically would be left up to the doctor. But also the four or five six I can't fucking speak. The four five six comes along, and the four five six is a bigger sort of thing. But even then, it it didn't feel like it was a was a huge thing in a sense because it was it was still 
ultimately it was it was just people sitting in rooms having discussions and you know it, it never felt like huge scale even though it was um but then miracle day comes along and suddenly it's international and everything's going on and they're in shanghai and they're gonna nuke shanghai no they, <laughs> of course they didn't they didn't but but it just it almost feels like too big to be comfy um but i feel like that's why scenes like the um the plane scene they work so well and I enjoyed them so much in the series because they were that sort of like a smaller scale disaster almost you know yeah. it, was like so, it was so specific also it was like Jack had been poisoned and it wasn't like dealing with aliens or anything but it was but it was like a it's like a you could have watched an, an episode you know an episodic episode on its own it was just, but then it was really sort of put out across the whole episode like the plain thing and our cut with Vera and stuff but um but yeah I really like the smaller scale stuff I really like the smaller scale character stuff and what I feel was missing in Miracle Day is that it is that it was too big and it was it wasn't focused enough basically yeah I, I have yeah. two thoughts off that thought oh. the first is well it's not my thought it's Russell T Davis's thought and I think you'll dislike it because it's going to what you say about how Torchwood transformed from the comfy, more episodic alien hijinks episodes of the first two series. And it's, he said in the promotion of Miracle Day. The whole point of Torchwood stories now is, is, is to take a science fiction element, a concept, and to drop it into the middle of society, into the middle of us in the Western world, as to see who we become then. To him, the show has completely transformed into this idea of uh, just a vehicle for high concept science fiction mega stories which i think definitely didn't tend to resonate with the fandom everyone loves children of earth but mm -hmm. to make the show into children of earth 2 and like that to become the common mode of the show afterwards yeah i, I question the wisdom of that idea children of earth was like a sort of it was still sort of character focused and everything which i think is by character focus, I mean it was specifically focused on the characters we care about, whereas Miracle Day was like, it was shoving all these other characters at us who weren't well written and expecting us to give a shit. And I was like, that's why I struggle to rewatch in a sense, because I, I know how, when the American stuff is and when the Jack and Gwen stuff is, and I, I just spend the entire time waiting for the Jack and Gwen stuff. Well, the interesting thing I found in my rewatch was that I remembered Miracle Day very much as this one big story that just all flowed into itself and it was like a nine ten hour movie or whatever but on rewatch i found that really isn't so much the it didn't feel like the case to me and i think a lot of this is because this was in written in an american writer's room where you know they broke the season together but then individual writers tended to write their episodes off the planning they'd done as a group but pretty much every episode is pretty got its own like episode one is you know the beginning jack's comeback all that stuff episode two is very focused on almost the bottle episode inside the plane with the assassin Episode 3 is pretty much linkage material. Then episode 4 really has its individual arc with that tea party woman saying dead is dead and that nameless assassin guy that is tailing everyone as they go to L LA. Episode 5 is the mystery of what the modules are at the overflow clamps. Clamps? Overflow camps. Episode 6 is dealing with the fallout from that and getting... It's even got the word middlemen as like the thematic core of that episode that they say in different contexts and it's all about that idea of middlemen. Episode seven right, is obviously the and it's flashback. Right there in the middle of the series. Right in the middle of the series. Yeah. Six out of ten. Yeah. Episode seven is the flashback episode. 
episode eight is that we have no money and Jane Espenson had to write this, rewrite this at the 11th hour because it really wasn't working. So it all takes place in one room and basically nothing happens in it. Is what was I rewriting? Episode eight had to have mm. massive rewrites done to it because um, as much as we love episode eight, it's not our finest hour. It's, it had to be rewritten. It had to be for written. production reasons. Absolutely. It was kind of like four and eight had to be written big time to be cheaper. Mm. They were simply very expensive and the original version of episode eight, which no, no, was no, no. extraordinary and lavish and as you've probably seen by the stage now, it just set, takes place in one room. One room into which various interesting people keep walking in. First of all, Newman walks in. And then Q from Star Trek walks in. Then they discover there's something under the floor. It's just, it, it's a lesson in how to make interesting things happen in one room. Maybe. Episode nine is time skip. Episode 10 is, you know, big earth. Uh, big yonic structure in the earth like that they were much more delineated than I remembered but they're not done that distinctly in how they're actually realized that they do kind of form mush in your head but I was surprised how much they are actually pretty bam 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 got their own little cause to them ping 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 I think uh, that sort of goes to something that I've felt about Miracle Day for a while uh, Miracle Day is a lot of fun to have watched, but not so much fun to watch, if you follow my meaning. It blurs together in your head, and you kind of forget the really bad parts, and you just remember how wonderful and sick it is. Uh, which I suppose is for the best, because ultimately that is where the fiction we uh, infozorb uh, lives the longest, is in our memories, rather than right in front of our eyes. I feel the same way about 2001. The movie end the year. You can remember that far back? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. I th- the, the thing with Miracle Day that frustrates me the most isn't actually the finale. It's it's like all the episodes before the finale, really. It's that this was a really... <laughs> it was a really interesting... The entire idea. series is yeah. shit. It's, it's such basically. an interesting idea, this idea that no one can die. And it's such a it's such a classic science fiction we can make all the metaphors from this you know we can make so much commentary on healthcare and society and you know government response to crises there's so much you can do with it and i like it kind of yeah it kind of does now and again but i feel like it was so no hand on the rudder for so much at the time like we don't really like we have gwen's father is sick you know and all and he ends up having a second heart attack and then he's just comatose for like the rest of the series but we never really like feel his experience of like what it is to be a category one like i feel like it's so removed it's so much characters in rooms talking about oh this means that this means that but we we it's like the it's like the kids and children of earth yeah we exactly. never get their perspective exactly. I, I feel like we're so removed from the actual like we get some of it in the first five episodes with vera the doctor character who's like saying who reverses the process of triage and she's making lots <laughs> of commentary on how healthcare needs to change and that's interesting and it kind of drips away and we never really got that much of it in the first place and what we get is these like cia runarounds and it's so much less interesting than what i thought would flow on from this actual idea of if no one could die what does that say about the world what changes or what what doesn't change and i felt like we were getting a story about the story not the actual story if you know what i mean yeah yeah i would argue that to me one of the best parts about uh the character of rex matheson who I have a ton of things to say about. One of the things that I think is really strong about that character is the degree to which we sort of... how they sort of subtly make him... Initially it's subtle, and then later on it becomes more and more hammered in. He's 
the person that we get the experience of being dead from. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, and I, I, I agree that it probably should have been uh, Glenn's father, or at least had an episode, just from his perspective, but with Rex, we really get, you know, the constant pain, the worrying about how people are going to treat him, uh, what's going to happen to him. And I think that, and I feel like we'll probably get into this more uh, later as well, I feel like if there had been a Davies version of Miracle Day, uh, Rex would have been a much more um, well-realized character. On the point of um, social commentary and structure and things like that, uh, it strikes me that perhaps something that really hobbles the series in terms of being a true successor to Children of Earth and doing what RTD wanted about, um, you know, how would society respond to this sci-fi concept, is that whereas in Children of Earth, you have a very clearly delineated alien threat, which then we see just the desperately mundane kind of bureaucratic system and trying to respond to in a way that reveals the, you know, the complete, the closeness of the world system to total collapse. In Miracle Day, what you get is, first you have this wondrous phenomenon of the blessing and the miracle. Then you have this even more, or even more vague phenomenon of the three families of this, you know, shadowy new world order conspiracy that's lurking in the background that can do anything. And so much of the series is spent chasing after that with a ton of procedural stuff to try and unravel the conspiracy and how do they make this happen and how do they set this up and what are they planning to do and who have the, they've got moles here and there and how are we going to stop them and blah blah and there's so much of this sort of plotty business that that all that stuff really undercuts the actual children of earth style material which is mostly consigned to quite to kind of glib like bits and pieces here and there or the occasional quite good episode like you know categories of life so it's like i I wish I wish the series had had less of a plot, basically. I feel like the first six episodes are... I'll, I know a lot of... You said episode seven's your favorite, and a lot of people say that it gets stronger towards the end, but to me, the first five or six episodes, where it's most concerned with the miracle and the ramifications of it, and how it's affecting society and government and religion... That's the strong material, you know, that's the, the Children of Earth-ish material. And uh, when it goes into more of the um, conspiracy thriller stuff, it really gets weaker. Episode 7 is a favourite because it's a character study, not because that's... it necessarily furthers the shit plot. Oh yeah, that's, 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 yeah. yeah, the funny thing about Episode 7 is what people widely regard as the best episode of Miracle Day has the least to do with, you know, the Miracle Day. It's just because... Is it focuses so much on on a character that the people already love, and it's a character mm-hmm. that has so much mystery about him, and it doesn't Angela, yeah. it doesn't <laughs> shut up. It doesn't reveal Jack's past in like in a way that feels intrusive. It's a fascinating insight into Jack and yeah. also into Gwen at points. Uh, but yes, mm-hmm. anyway, finally, Neil, you're allowed to speak. Okay. This is another fact from the commentary corner. Actually, another thing that I want to say before Neil speaks. <laughs> Go on. I, I'm, I'm joking. Go ahead. <laughs> so, here's an interesting one for you, which I think uh, it ties into what Gig was saying about kind of the um, the shaggy plottiness of the whole series, and it's that RTD says because it's like it's like it's a very odd series in the, and I love it for its oddness. I genuinely love it for its oddness. It's mm. like it's. It's because 
this has been done invisibly by people who are out of reach and have made themselves invisible. The whole drama has to treat the families and the blessing and the miracle as invisible. And normally, the normal way of telling this is to cut to, you know, a powerful boardroom full of men in black suits going, ha ha, the miracle has been successful. The blessing will stay hidden. You know, and all that sort of stuff. And we just sort of said, if you do that, then you're going to make Torchwood and the CIA and the whole world look stupid. It's like the entire drama is actually based around the fact that they can't work out what's going on. And it takes until episode nine for everyone to be in the right position for them to get the clues. It literally takes that long. If it doesn't take that long, then the whole thing hasn't been believably hidden, which is a very big risk. It's like even now on transmission, you know, people like my sisters are saying to me, like, what's Oswald Dane's up to? And stuff like that. And, he's, and I sat there my sister last night, he's not actually up to anything. He's a victim of it. And it's very hard to describe this on, on screen because it's, it's very unusual. Normally these people are involved by plotting. And actually, he's simply an accident of the miracle. And it yes. takes until episode nine for him to have got the information and to have met Jack and to be aware of Torchwood and to be aware of the whole worldwide situation and to go on the run and to be able to find Gwen Cooper to go to the house and provide Torchwood the one clue that everyone in the world has missed. The CIA hasn't got the clue, the FBI, Interpol, every news, foreign police agency, anywhere has failed to get the clue. That's how invisible it is. So you need nine weeks of exposition to get to that point. That's a dangerous little pattern, isn't it? It's like So it's interesting this. It's kind of the first every it's a really tricky episode this because it all heads towards one great big showdown. They have like a half hour showdown underground in Shanghai. So the first thirty minutes of the episode is just getting everyone to the right place. It's I was just thinking this while we had a break, as I was describing earlier on the episode one commentary, I was sort of saying that a drama is all about where it starts. Oh, there's my phone. Uh, a drama is all about where it starts and and that in a way the Doctor Who version of this would start around about episodes 9 and 10 where everything's at its climax. Mm. And actually, I realised I was wrong in our little break there. The Doctor Who version of this story would start before episode 1. It would be the family preparing to launch Miracle Day, preparing to activate this thing underground in Shanghai, and the consequences will be terrible, and the Doctor arriving and stopping them. And the interesting thing about this is a tortured story. It's the kind of story of, like, this is what happens when the Doctor doesn't turn up. Yes. So the whole thing, the, this, the reason why they take 10 hours to find out what's going on, because there's no Time Lord, there's no TARDIS, there's no special knowledge, there's no gadgets and gimmickry. It's just a bunch of people and the CAA and the FBI all trying to find out what's going on. And it has to take this long because there's no, there's no Time Lord there. So that's, yes. that was an interesting thought I just had today. Thank you. It's a, I, I, keep, I keep loving the odd structure of this, even though we're saying this before mm. transmission, I suspect it would have driven people mad. All the exposition at the end. It's, the gap in between. it's, like, it's literally bottom heavy. It's like you wait and wait and wait, but everything is answered. I think you do get an answer, but it's the cheekiest like format you could have done you know you could have you could have met a family operative in episode 8 who told you half of this you could then have met a character called the cousin who then gave you another third of the information in episode 9 ready for the final parts of the clue in episode 10 and it's like this just willfully does the opposite it just says mm. it literally says no one knows what's done this and that's the rule we're going to stick to all the way through to the end and I think so much of the weird shape of the series is really exposed in his frankly baffling choice to do that because all the stuff about, you know, the giant, uh, what to call it. Well, RTD couldn't call it a crack, the blessing in the earth, because- I went through a lot of iterations, the blessing, didn't it? It was a mold originally. Do you remember the very- The mold, just saying the mold. <laughs> well, you wanted it to feel organic, didn't yes. you? Yes, yes. In the very first storyline draft, it, it went through the world like 
If you could see my hand gesture now, it's making the gesture of a jagged mold, <laughs> <laughs> which has to be seen to be believed. Okay. And um, and then we said, then everyone kept on laughing at me with mold. So I was like, all right, then I won't be mold. Then and then we went through. Then it was going to be like a black oil, like a slick. But of course, that's in the X Files. That that has black oil and stuff like that. So John Shyban said we can't do that because he worked on the X Files. Hey. So and in the end, it became I quite like it because mm. it became. It's the oddest thing. It's kind of not like anything else. It's it's kind of a crack that defies physical laws. Then of course, because this had been in development for over a year, then of course Doctor Who came along with its fifth series with a crack. Yeah. In space and time, I, I was sitting there going, "Oh God, they've got a crack!" And it's like so you notice all the dialogue yes. here very carefully yeah. avoids the word there. Gwen does the speech going, "What is it? That that space? That that nothingness? Is it the edges?" And they are literally avoiding the word crack all the way through. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Moffat. Oh. <laughs> I remember watching series 5 of Doctor Who going like, oh, what can we call what can we call the blessing now if they've got a crack <laughs> the way that feels adrift from the rest of the series and that suddenly it's this bizarre terrestrial morphic field blood bloodline I do love the wordplay of the first and last titles the bloodline you know the families and the line of blood that Jack and Rex make and of course in the premiere the new world America but also the new worlds of the miracle you know as transformed society anyway the finale feels so dissatisfying, I think, because it is this completely other story that then he got other writers to kind of do a prequel for, except he then kind of, you know, did the finale so separately to it. So the whole shape of the season, I think, is very odd in that it comes from this idea of doing all the stuff before, you know, the drama and having the drama about characters not understanding what's working on. Because then where's the satisfaction in all these scenes and all these CIA plots when we know well we do i mean when it's airing we don't know the meta plot that rtd says everything has to be hidden until the finale but i think you can kind of feel it because things just go in circles so much i think children of earth is a useful comparison here because where that built up very meticulously to its climax in episode five what we get here is something that it almost miracle day almost feels like it blows its load halfway through with the ovens reveal because that's the oh my god moment and in episode 10 with the gigantic sort of you know buenos aires fault and all the blood shenanigans doesn't feel quite as you know shocking or compelling or interesting because you know it's just sci-fi babble at the end of the day it's less interesting by far that revelation that you gave us there that actually explains so much about what has always felt so weird about miracle day specifically the fact that the ostensible climax of the entire miniseries is basically treated as a subplot yeah i mean like it's kind of it's kind of bizarre how much the kind of concentration camps thing fades into the background once it's there but one one thing i do like is that i really like the element of how they absolutely fail to resist the camps in any meaningful way i think we might have talked about this with them neo but um this whole thing of like it gets exposed by rex and he films vera burning to death in there and what we get after that is politicians being like well you know it's just we're just following procedure we're going to keep the camps open and stuff like that and i think at one point someone even says they should be shutting these camps down right now but they're just talking about it and that is you know i think we can see that as it not not just relevant but even you know prescient i mean i say prescient because you know stuff was still going on during obama's run as well but it's yeah it's yeah. more accurate and on point than uh, rtd's later treatment of the same topic yes. let's just say that there's this exchange of lines in episode nine about what gig is talking about when gwen and jack are talking and it's when not gwen and jack when gwen and reese are talking and it's because reese you know in episode six was it he's unwittingly driving people to the five. modules 
episode five. He's driving yes. people to the modules, to, to the, the ovens, yeah. ovens, the concentration camps. And then, you know, when he finds out, he's so freaked because, you know, that feels terrible to be complicit in something. And then in episode nine, him and Gwen have a conversation about doing that job knowingly and they decide to do it because the depression, you know, the economic failure the world is in is so bad that they need the money and they're so worn down that the conversation they have, Gwen says, it's funny, isn't it? When they first opened the camps, we all protested. Second time, we're all too busy looking after ourselves. And Reese says, I, all part of the plan to wear us down. I think that's a lot more fascinating and on point than, yeah, some of the stuff in towards the ending of years and years, not to spoil it. I thought it was done quite well, kind of in the margins here towards the end of Miracle Day. Yeah. And of course... Davies barely had anything to do with it at this point. We should we should clarify that Russell T Davies was the showrunner of this, um, but not to the extent of Children of Earth, where he had such a huge hand in all. He wasn't even really the head writer by the yeah. end, was he? he yeah. yeah. Here, what Russell T Davies did is he wrote the first episode of Miracle Day all by himself. Then, for the finale, he told Jane Espenson, who's a very experienced American writer. Um, she's big on the Joss Whedon shows, like Buffy and all that. So, of course, it was huge for Torchwood to get her because Torchwood's so influenced, oh, yeah. born of Buffy and everything. Real full circle moment. She was effectively the head writer of this. She was the one rewriting other people's scripts. And for the finale, Davies told her, Jane, told her everything he wanted to happen in it. And she did two drafts off that. He said, this is good. And then he took those two drafts and he did a few more drafts on top of that. And then that was the finale script. So that was his involvement. Episodes two to nine. I mean, he was in the writer's room when they were all breaking them, but he didn't. You know on Doctor Who, how every script, nearly every script, he would do another draft over and he would improve. He didn't do that here. Jane was the person oh, doing that. Boy, does it show. Yeah. And so that's why I think there's so much in episode 10. And it's not so much that episode 10 is bad, it's that it's just on such a different wavelength than the rest of the series. Like, there's there's something I really like in episode 10, and it's when that blonde woman uh, down at the, well, I can't call it a crack, the blessing in Shanghai, when Jilly Kitzinger and her are discussing and Gwen is arguing, and they're all arguing about the effects of the miracle and how society's, you know, descended into, you know, totalitarianism, chaos and all that. And she says, when they're talking about inequality that's rife now because of the miracle, that we're just making it official. And there's this concept of the miracle as just exacerbating current issues and inequalities and how, like in Children of Earth, the world's really, well, at least, you know, English society, uh, Welsh society, American society is quite a bit closer to totalitarianism and that kind of thing than people might think. All that kind of stuff, I think, is a good idea and it works well that the whole higher metaphor of the miracle is that even if you were to transform the world so totally, even if life and death were transformed and flipped over and everything, it still doesn't change the fundamental, you know, systems at play in the world, which still need overturning through, you know, the ways we see Gwen blowing up concentration camps and individual action resistance and that, that just changes systems something. Systems which are big. the problem. Yeah. So I like that idea, but I feel like that idea is, it's in that conversation in the finale. Uh, it's it's not it's not in as much of the rest of the series as much this whole deal on, you know, it's, it kind of, kind of ties into what RTD was saying where the drama is based around not knowing why. I find that a more interesting systemic idea that the drama of Miracle Day is, you know, the big system ruining everything isn't you know this supernatural switchover of life and death. It's just that the same systems in place that are doing the same problems on a smaller scale. You know, these same inequalities. Yes, it's very much. Uh Torchwood's wheelhouse, really. Yeah. 
Oh, I, was, I was amused by the detail in episode 10 uh, politically when Jilly says oh I, I bet your bleeding liberal heart thinks this but actually this you know, she just comes out with a sort of conservative lingo I thought it was a bit unsubtle <laughs> and of course one of the main characters literally has a bleeding heart oh yeah good spot <laughs> I love actually I don't know that he's me too she's such a fantastic villain she's so detestable and the name even she just has a name that you hate to hear. That's impressive. Antagonist-wise, it's basically... In terms of good antagonist, it's basically just Jilly, isn't it? Because apart from that, you've got the family's people who are very generic, and then you've got Oswald, of course, who is his own kettle of fish entirely. Yeah, oh, yeah. Newman, Newman from Seinfeld. Yeah, you've got all those various people, sort of... Uh, and Colin Maloney as well, yeah, the whole concentration camp thing. But they're, they're, those are kind of like... They're like mid-bosses, like kind of minor temporary sub-antagonists. Yeah, exactly. And maybe, um, I feel like w- with Children of Earth, you add Frobisher in that position. And I can't help but think that Frobisher is rather better than anything we get in Miracle Day. Yeah, if, if anyone's the Peter Capaldi of Miracle Day, just in terms of casting a good actor who's like surprisingly big for Torchwood to get, it's got to be Bill Pullman. And Oswald yeah. Danes, I think, is a really... It's an interesting character, and it's interesting how the different writers handle him. Mirrors, I know you believe this, and so do I, but Russell T. Davies just gets him so much better than all the other writers. So the premiere and the finale have by far the best Oswald scenes to me, which the first one is the scene that opens Miracle Day is Oswald, you know, getting condemned to death by injection because he's raped and murdered a 10-year-old girl, and he was a school teacher, so one one of his students. You know, absolutely despicable character off the bat. And he's getting injected... And uh, it hurts, and so he's, you know, freaking out and he's flailing around. And this was unscripted. Bill Pullman pulls off, like, the sides of the tables, uh, and they rip off, and all the extras and everyone are like, what's going on? Because that, that, that wasn't planned at all. That was just Bill Pullman struggling so hard. And he's really acting, you know, his heart out of it. And then he doesn't die, and that's how the show starts. Uh, initially, here's another commentary thing. Originally, that was the ninth scene in the episode, and it started with the Rex and Esther phone call. But they decided it's a much more... Oh, it, that it, it sucked. It didn't work later because then you already knew the miracle was in effect and they decided it worked much better if you move it up and you just think he's going to die. And then the twist, that's how the miracle starts. Yeah. But his other scene I think is really great is... Uh, oh, which one? There's two scenes. There's the one where him and Jack are like in a hotel and they have a conversation about each other where it's really about the fact they both killed children and Jack, what he tries to say to Oswald is that... Oswald gets off on, you know, being important. And his whole thing in the series is he's trying to scrape what life he can get and what importance he can get while he can get it. Like in the second episode, he has that conversation with a production assistant about why he's stealing all the food and, you know, in prison, everyone pissed in his food. And, you know, he knows this isn't going to last what, what's going on from him being a free man. So he's eating as much as he can. We get lots of little just notes in like when he's in hotels, you often notice on his bed, he'll have a load and load of food. And so he's really trying to do this, you know, hedonistic thing of living as much as he can while he can, because he knows, you know, essentially death is coming again. And like Jack correctly identifies in him, he's got a death wish because Jack says he's too intelligent to want to keep going on like he is and that he knows that, you know, he's going to die and he wants the execution because he's mindful enough to know. I mean, when he stares into the blessing, which is meant to reflect your soul back at you, he gets freaked out because of the weight of all his sin flashing at him. And so he's this interesting character in that he's a terribly evil man, but he's not stupid enough or not insane enough to not recognize, you know, how 
terrible he is and how much he needs execution. But the scene I like is at the very end, when his response to Jack saying, you know, you are nothing, you're one of so many men like this that nobody remembers because you are so utterly pathetic. And this is why I like that his performance isn't scary, it's sleazy. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's not yeah. menacing. He's, he feels more like a used car salesman, how he talks. Mm-hmm. He's very sleazy, but pathetic and wormy. He's like, you know, these serial, killers, these serial killers, you see people, you know, form all these cults around and that. And then you watch the actual interviews of them and they're just so wormy and weedy and, you know, disgusting and pathetic and small. And so then his ending, of course, has to be him trying to make himself the center of the action and him trying to do a huge action and him making himself big again. Oz, I like the fact Oswald sees himself as so small, the final yes. line of the scene, because there's a danger with this sort of storytelling that you introduce a murderous pedophile who is, you know, was a, was a terrible man. Um, and, and, you know, a man like that in real life has all sorts of problems, but this man exalts himself. And, you know, sometimes because it's Bill Pullman, because it's a thriller, because there's star power at work here and, and artificial dynamics, you know, thrillers have dynamics of work that don't exist in real life. So there's a danger sometimes he can look epic, you know? The, yes. it's, it's like his crimes and his evil, if you want to call it evil, become epic. And so that's why I had to get this scene in. because and, and actually, strangely, he's about, in a perverse way, he's about to start saving the day. I love the perversity of that, that the bad man does good things in the end. But it wouldn't work without this scene where someone... That's why all ten episodes I was starting to write this scene where it's like someone has to tell him he's nothing. Mm. Because I think he gets off on considered to be... Uh, the way in episode one he looks at that camera when he's in court, like he's important. Do you know, like he has status, like 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 he's got something to say about the world, and actually, you know, and what I'm not, what he did was huge and terrible and dreadful. But that doesn't make you an epic character, you know. No. And I love Jack just telling him in the history of the world he's a tiny little piece of dirt. Yes. And it's interesting because we always talk during the storylining that the bad man would do a good thing at mm. the end of this episode. It doesn't feel like that to me because it feels better. It feels like he's been true to his dark character because he's doing it to be the centre of things again. Yes, and he's so... His last lines are oh, so perverse. Oh, it's the darkest last lines <laughs> is, in television drama. That is the darkest thing I've ever oh. written in my life. And I remember, you remember John Shaban watching that and... <laughs> laughing at how outrageous it is. I mean, it's monstrous. We, we shouldn't he laugh. Is, he is monstrous, but I, th- I think it's important because what mm. you're not signalling... We're not saying, oh, look, the paedophile has has repented, which would be which would be monstrous. And, oh, God. And impossible oh, no. and terrible drama and untruthful drama. Which is, you know, his death taking control of the whole thing and saving people and making himself important in the narrative again. I thought that was... <laughs> Really interesting how they played that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. <laughs> I think that was oh, yeah. a horrible decision. I think it was because it worked it for the character. The it worked, yeah, it worked for the character. But I think it was fucking stupid because basically I have I have a lot of issues with Oswald. Right, primarily it's the fact that um, they essentially made him. <laughs> Not likable, but they were. They, he had so much focus. He's the and, anti-hero. And yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, and I didn't like how that was framed. I didn't like anything about it. And primarily, I think it comes down to. I think. Um, why did they make him a paedophile? That's what I can't get over. I can't work it out because because there is zero aside from making you dislike him from the start and think he's a monster. There is zero story justification for him being a paedophile. And 
it'd be one thing if if he just was, I guess. But it's the fact that you know the scene at the end of episode three. You ref you referred to it there. Uh, the Jack and Oswald are talking, and yeah. and they're basically talking about having killed a child. What you need to remember about Miracle Day is that for a lot of people, this was their first ever introduction to Torchwood. That scene, and at no point in the series, but specifically in that scene, they never actually tell you what Jack did uh, in Children of Earth, which is killing his grandson, or obviously why he did it. Um, but specifically, his, his son was killing a child, um, and it was also in completely different circumstances from Oswald, but the whole point of that scene is like... Um, Oswald essentially tries to insinuate that they are somehow the same um, because he 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 can tell that also the way that Jack is speaking and talking about you know you never feel forgiven and all that stuff you know Jack knows because he's talking from his own experience having killed his grandson but the problem is the scene I'm not sure how you would have worked it in but the scene in the series never tell you that's what Jack did so when Oswald is standing there saying we're just the same, essentially. What the fuck are you meant to take away from that when one of them is a fucking paedophile? Like, this. obviously we know. We know that Jack is not. And we know what they're talking about and who Jack has killed and what he did. But I can't help thinking of all the people who are watching this and they don't have that context because there's plenty of them. And, and it's never dealt with. It's never... Has never acknowledged the fact that, that this exchange happens and it has this unfortunate implication if you don't have the knowledge of Children of Earth. So that's why I feel like, why did Oswald have to be a paedophile? It'd be one thing if it was a child murderer, because then you, not that I'm saying that's any less horrible, yeah, but yeah. it does take it to another level when you're talking about, you know. Um, so, so you could have that scene be exactly the same. Nothing would change about the series at all if Oswald just wasn't a paedophile. Because he would still be a monster. You'd still hate him. It's just that that scene wouldn't then be framed in a horrible way for Jack. Also, I hate that it's established, specifically in that scene yet again, that what Oswald ultimately wants is death. So at the end of the series, he gets what he wants and he's framed as a hero. And whether you take it as a sort of, oh, he's trying to put himself in the middle of the action and stuff he ultimately does a sort of heroic action he saves Gwen from the woman who tried to grab her he sacrifices himself you know and uh, to blow everything up etc he, he has a hero's death why are they giving a pedophile murderer a hero's death while screaming about how he's going after all the bad little girls too yeah oh my god that was so horrible like that, it's so uncomfortable it's so bad I cannot understand That's- like well, that's the drama of it, is, is, is what he's saying as he's performing ostensibly a hero's moment. That's, you know, the dangerousness of it, is the collision the of what you're feeling there. But, 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 but it's not good, it's not, it's not yeah. comfortable, it's not enjoyable. I, like, yeah. I get, I get that obviously if this was like a sort of a real world situation, you might have that happen. But we're not talking about that. And for a series that ostensibly claims to be about social commentary, rewarding the paedophile at the end is not the way... Like what? What are they trying to say there? What is the point being made? The paedophile gets everything he wanted, and he gets a hero's death. Like what is that? After they spent the whole series building him up to be some sort of anti-hero, I don't. I, I just think it was a bad decision. Horrible. In, Horrible. In terms of writing him as a pedophile, that just seemed very much to me commentary on how you know pedophiles can rise to such media prominence in America. Like this is far from the first time a pedophile has somehow 
crazily, you know, risen to such media heights. But my problem with that subplot is you look at how he's built up um, what he's saying and he's doing things that would obviously get him media attention and media love. Like when he's the only person really in the series to go to the category ones and really directly and in very explicit terms sympathize with their specific plights in episode two or three, I think it is, when he holds up the baby and when he's talking about their lived experience. Uh. He's the only one in the series that really drills down on what they're feeling and what is, un he's not treating them as objects, he's uniquely treating them as people. And you know, obviously it's mm -hmm. him just talking this up, I, you know, he doesn't care, he's not an empathetic person. But you can see why this media narrative forms around him. And I think that goes interestingly for maybe the first five episodes, but then it's just so, we don't, it's so off screen, like why his media empire falls. And you know, we, I don't think we ever get the dots dotted enough to see specifically why he rose in the first place. Like there's a couple of set pieces I buy, like the ending of episode five and that baby moment, but we never get enough of it to, yeah. I think you, I think you needed to sell the story more and I can totally buy the story. And you know, as commentary on how people that despicable, you know, and he's, he's sort of a quasi religious figure and how those kind of quasi-religious pedophiles can raise yeah. to such prominence that Davies can write that well, but he's not the one writing, you know, in these episodes in the middle. And so it it, 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 it definitely falls apart towards the end. Oswald, the problem I have with him as well is that, and this is, this is an issue with Miracle Day on the whole, and its plot and how, you know, how, how there's so much of it that you could cut out. Oswald, you could cut him out. He has, what does he actually contribute to the resolution of the final plot and I get that Miracle Day isn't about the final plot in a sense it's all about the, the everything that happens before it so he doesn't have to tie in but I just feel like he's such a I don't I don't enjoy his scenes I don't think they, they, they tell us anything particularly fascinating aside from going yeah bad people sometimes get you know Get, get get to rise up in, in society yeah yeah like it, he doesn't he doesn't tell us anything we don't already know he's not and and he's he's not making commentary on it like, that's the thing he, he's just he's just sort of there following a narrative we've seen in the world before and i i, I don't know I, I just don't that's i don't the like same him children of earth is doing you know it's it's telling a narrative we're already aware of i think as social commentary it's written poorly but i don't think it's a, a bad idea to yes no this. No, it's, no, that's the thing. But that was all sort of it. All was relevant was to the plot as well. Yeah, it was. It was good, and it was relevant to the plot because that social commentary was just naturally built into the plot of Children of Earth. Also, Danes was just a thing that existed in addition to the plot. It's it's funny because in the middle episodes, he's so utterly stranded from the narrative, isn't he? He only really has scenes with Jilly. Like he's so disconnected. RTD said this that um. He was thinking originally about giving Oswald scenes where he kind of clued into the three families earlier, but then he abandoned it because he wanted to do his thing of just putting everything in the finale. So you've got this character, yeah, that's got his own kind of disconnected subplot that I, I would argue is doing interesting stuff, or at least attempting to do interesting stuff, but it's so disconnected from, I guess if you call it the core narrative, but Miracle Day is so disparate, like Jack is stranded for multiple episodes in the middle and he's not really doing anything important. This is a really shoddily plotted season and that, yeah, we have all these subplots and characters that kind of tie into the concept, but they're not connecting right and they're not cohering into a season. So I absolutely It's like vignettes. That. Yeah. Do you think that if Oswald had been played by a shittier actor, you would still think positively about his inclusion in the series? Well, I don't think 
I don't think that's the right terms. I think the idea of what he was trying to do interests me. Like, just on the page before an actor gets there, at the ending of episode 5, when he's reframing the miracle as, like, the second great leap forward, and it's this kind of spiritual reawakening of humanity as, you know, the next step in evolution, and how we can sell this to people, you know, when the reality is everyone is still aging, and everyone's still going to, well, not die, they're going to expire horribly in pain. If everyone's still aging, there's no point to the miracle in the first place, because, you know, when people are 150, that, that's no kind of existence. I'll be like Dobby Doctor in Last of the Time yeah. Lords, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the series should have done more on, you know, comment on the elderly and, you know, the decrepit and all this kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff just on the page, I think, is interesting. What Oswald's doing and the idea of a pedophile as this religious media figure that rises so much in American times of crises. That all works me on the page. If it wasn't Bill Pullman, like, it barely works now. Most of it doesn't work. Some <laughs> of it works to me. If it wasn't Bill Pullman... I don't think, yeah, this would be working at all. He, he, he's, he's tremendous. Um, when, when he gets the Davies material, especially, he knows when to chew the scenery to an ex insane extent. And he knows when just to do the used car salesman thing. And I'm so glad he didn't try to make the role scary. I think that's such a better point for the character. But yeah, yeah. Bill Pullman pulls so much of the weight here, Code. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true of a lot of the things that he's in. He's yeah. really a, he's really a, uh, versatile actor. I think with Oswald's presence in the show, is that's kind of RTD's morbid fascination and desire to shock, and I think this fascination with the idea of someone who is damned. I think maybe RTD sort of wrapped his brain and be like, who, who, what sort of character would be the most damned and completely, like, unsalvageable, irredeemable, and, you know, death wish, essentially. And that's, and that's how you get to, not only has he murdered the child, but he's also a paedophile. And he's gonna, you know, he's gonna sort of tauntingly mock his victims as he blows himself up and gets so this big kind of, this fiery inferno of a death. It's also, I think part of it is the idea of depicting an existence and a life that is just so utterly fucked and a story that's just so completely messed up. It, it's kind of cynical shock value in one sense and I don't think RTD is above that particularly. But I think nonetheless that scene where he blows stuff up and he's like yeah, straight to hell and I'm following and he's sort of chewing the scenery and sort of screaming and the music is going and it's all it's all very flashy and in your face and so like, I, I find that entertaining. Like that's one of the bits in the finale that entertains. He falls, like you're saying, that, that kind of character. I think Vivian Rook in Years and Years and maybe John Sim's master in Doctor Who are very much, yeah, this type of character RTD likes that kind of rise terribly, you know, in these times of crises and then it is utterly... Trickster men. Yeah, trickster men. These terrible souls. Uh, it's definitely a thing he likes writing, but there's, even the Death Wish, there's so much of Oswald's character I don't feel like was cohering. And it just, like Code was saying, when in all these middle episodes, it's 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 just not working. You know, no matter the actor you throw at it. I'm just I'm just really annoyed about the end of episode three. You know, you know a character we can all agree on liking together though, very much so, is gotta be The end of Rex Matheson. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll say Rex. I, Rex, I actually, um, I, I don't have that much of a problem with him. Rex is, uh, it's interesting because Rex and, how do you, everyone in the show was saying Esther. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Esther. In America, yeah. anyway. Rex and Esther are very much, you know, Owen and Tosh in series one and two, original Torchwood, are very much these kind of, on the page, they're these stock characters you know tosh techie person you know in the crime lab that you know t is on the phone to them and saying oh you've got to go to court and it's blah 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 i'm gonna hack into the mainframe she's that person and owen is 
the secondary, you know, male lead that's angsty and oh, he'll argue with a boss. But those two actors, especially Bern Gorman, they don't make those characters feel stocky, even though that's so clearly their position and narrative roles in the episodes. Bern Gorman plays that role with such a weird masculinity that he doesn't feel like that at all. He feels like this original kind of character, even before series two and his whole death arc. He feels original and different than, if you actually just read the scripts, I think Owen would feel so much more boring. And Naoko oh, for yeah. Tosh just enlivens her so much and she puts so much humanity and interesting energy into the role that she doesn't feel wrote, even though as written that role is way too wrote so much of the time, mm -hmm. especially for an actress like her. But then we get to Rex and Esther and it's like, they're, okay, they're super, super stock characters. You can't get more stock than this. We've got, yeah. you know, the, he's a brilliant, you know, detective, but, or an agent in this case, but, you know, he doesn't play by the rules enough and he's too arrogant. And then we've got his meek girl assistant, you know, and she's, you know, maybe got a crush on him and something, but she's too quiet in the office and all that. These are super stock roles. But okay, Torchwood can surmount that. Rex, uh, he kind of does at times. I think the actor totally gets the role he's playing and he knows how to kind of escalate it off Barrowman and stuff to make the role kind of work. Esther's actor... Uh, I mean, I forget her dialogue as she says it. I find her that, like, <laughs> dreary to me. Like, it's, it, she doesn't do anything with the stereotype or the stock role she's given it all to me. Remember all that shit about Esther's sister and her sister's two children? We get constantly get Esther calling up her sister and reporting her sister to the feds. I thought that was hilarious for a scene of where, you know, a white woman calls the cops and it backfires in her face. That was ironic. But, yeah, apart from that, there's so much. And Esther has so much material where she's just being useless. And she gets all the scenes where she's like fucking up. And I think, I think maybe they wanted her to be the American version of Gwen almost, who starts as a total ingenue and then ends up as like the confident, you know, badass or whatever. But it doesn't work. Yeah, she really did nail being sad and unhappy and upset about a lot of things. That's how I felt but, watching Miracle Day. Yeah. Uh, but she's, as a uh, hero, she leaves something to be desired. Code, you said on rewatch that you basically just felt like skipping the scenes with these American original characters. So, what's your assessment of Rex and Esther? Esther, I feel like um, exactly what you said. She's kind of on her own. Like, the whole sister plot just goes nowhere and means nothing. Like, I don't care about it, and I never cared about it even when I was watching it. I assumed that it maybe was going to go somewhere, um, but it didn't so you know um it was like they were trying to go like that oh she to she totally has a backstory guys and a personality look she cares about her sister um no it, esther was just boring but i liked some scenes she had you know she was good and when like jack or gwen specifically gwen was sort of like interacting with her i remember specifically i like the scene in episode three when they're walking down the street um yeah. and gwen's talking to her and comforting her and stuff that that was a really lovely scene but i love it because of gwen not because of esther <laughs> yeah. esther was just there to sort of stand and be sad you know um for for so that so that gwen could you know uh it was a good character moment for her. Uh, and then Rex, I I thought he, he was really well acted. Like I, I don't I don't necessarily have an issue with the character in a sense. I find he's he's quite bland as well, but mostly because he has um, he has that idea like it's just it's something that's been done before, and the show doesn't really do anything to subvert it. Um, so he suffers from that problem, like same as Esther, but. Um, he was like he was well acted, and you know, 
I liked in a sense that there was someone to rub Jack up the wrong way and <laughs> so, I don't I don't Me and Neo both immediately. <sighs> Get get your minds out the gutter, please. Jack started it. All those comments he makes to Rex. <laughs> True, um, but I I thought that was interesting. But but because he was fulfilling that role, he wasn't likable, and um, he he was also he was very rude to Esther and everything. And I just I feel like I I struggled to like him, and it didn't help that he kept making like the the Loki homophobic comments towards Jack yeah. and that's the, that's why they sort of butt heads so much and Jack's making all those funny comments at him and it's because and you know it, it also the like Rex isn't legitimately like you know um I think it would be more clear if he was but he's clearly got some sort of level of discomfort for you know for Jack um and the aspect of him so 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 having that he's in love with was it. just <laughs> See, just, me and um, Neo, we're both Jack's shippers. Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jack's, uh, Jack's forever actually. Um, but no, <laughs> I, I just thought that Rex, it didn't endear me to him at all. And I probably might have been more tolerant of him if it wasn't for comments like that. And, if and he I was think more tolerant, you would have been more tolerant of him. Yes, yes. Um, it's really like, intolerant of you. <laughs> it was it was good to sort of have those comments because because Jack's response to them were just fucking hilarious. Like I really yeah. I really yeah. like that. But but when you're trying to frame Rex as he's essentially a new member of the team and you're meant to care about him, especially how the finale ends, where he's never mortal, apparently, um, that just feels like it doesn't. It doesn't make me like him at all, and it does frustrate me that the, the character. Also, not that I would. Be happy if it was Esther because Esther was boring. But like, why did you have to reward the homophobic character with immortality? Like, I'm what's just glad what's it wasn't that? Oswald. Oh, I think <laughs> oh, there is. God. I think there is a little bit of an interesting subtext with Rex becoming immortal, basically getting the same condition as Jack from a blood transfusion. Yes, like, there's, there's, yes, like, oh yeah. Are we going to go into it? I don't want to just parallel here, but yeah, there is that sense of like yeah. he's been yeah. he's been turned to Jack's side, and it's kind of ironic that he of all people ends up getting that. Yeah, after he's been the yeah. one who's been so shady to Jack. I'm going to do some parroting here. And it's of Russell T Davies, and this is you know this you know the great feeling when you have a take on an episode or you have a head canning and you have a reading, and then suddenly you happen upon a comment by the writer, and it's like affirming everything you always thought, which wasn't always like a dominant oh, reading. Yes. I got this exact yeah, moment yeah. listening to the commentary for the finale because I've always just okay. I won't lead with me. I'll just lead with what he said. So. Russell T Davies says of that ending with Jack and Rex. It's a different form of immortality to Jack's. This is blessing supported. Jack is a fixed point in time and space. Was Jack ever mortal? That's what we'll never know. Because I think, by the way, that, you know, he was a fixed point in time and space. I'm not sure he was ever mortal during the whole story. Just we never got to prove it because we never killed him. That's thrown you. Oh my God, faithful <laughs> viewer! I've, I, I'm. This is going to be much discussed at I'm, the Chinese restaurant I'm this sorry, evening. If, if the doctor says someone's a fixed point in time and space, they're a fixed point in time and space. I am horrified, <laughs> and frankly, my head hurts. Faithful viewer, thank you for spending time with me. I'm now going to go and kill Russell T. Davis at thank the Chinese restaurant. You, faithful viewer, for watching. Will we come back ever again? We don't know. I hope bye -bye. so. Hooray. Bye. Bye bye. And that's how the last commentary for Torchwood ends. <laughs> That's quite fascinating. Rex is 
immortality. I think, and I know a lot of fans have this reading, is that it's probably reliant on Jack's blood in him to some degree, and that eventually, you know, when the body recycles and flushes all the blood, he might lose it at that point when all his blood is 100% Rex's. Or that it's just the Earth's blessing, Morthic Fields, as you know, it, it, Russell calls it a blessing supported immortality. So it's something separate from Jack's, obviously. But I, I particularly love this idea that kind of the whole concept of the show was never really, um, it wasn't going on on what we thought was going on and that Jack was quite possibly immortal the whole time and he just got some boo-boos on his arm, you know, like Reese made fun of him. <laughs> and that was, you know, the totality of the issues for him. Jack and episode seven calls himself Fex Point of Time. Fix point uh, here we go. 80, year, yep. right. 80 years before yep. the doctor tells him he is. What's that? Please explain. Also, he has his World War II coats before, before World, World War II. <laughs> well, what you this have to sense. keep in mind is that this is actually Jack from in the future post-Miracle oh. Day. It has nothing to do. It's not a flashback. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's annoying. <laughs> yeah. The script clearly isn't writing for that, but that's the only way to really... You know, make it work because how? He, no, yeah, it's it's just, I I, this is what, how you can tell Russell T Davies isn't you know hands on showing the season because he 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 can he would absolutely catch a continuity point like that you know glancing over a script he'd know, he'd see fixed point you know a term that he came up with in the fires of Pompeii and he'd go hey Jack can't know this this isn't you know in season two of Torchwood J- you know Jack doesn't know this yet we're back in the nineteen twenties but it's just endemic of the kind of sloppiness of Miracle Day and like a lot of these writers are good that are working on it but this is a Russell T Davies show and you know much like series one and two of Torchwood there's not that much Russell T Davies happening and that's a problem have we really gone into what was going on that kept him out of uh, Miracle Day this was around the time that his uh, partner was dying of cancer yeah and that's that's why after so the idea was with stars so it was co-production BBC and stars after the big success of David Tennant's Doctor Who, hugely successful, after all that, the BBC sent out Russell T Davies and producers Julie Gardner and Jane Tranter to America to make some co-productions and, you know, make the BBC look really sexy and wonderful and huge because they'd done such a good job on Doctor Who. Torchwood was meant to be the stepping stone, so they were going to do one or two seasons or more with stars. That's why, you know, the bloodline, the Miracle Day finale ends on such a huge cliffhanger with, you know, Rex becoming immortal because they thought they were probably going to do another season. But yeah, like Miri says, uh, RTD's partner, you know, eventual husband got really sick. And so he went back to the UK not long after Miracle Day ended. Uh, The other two stayed in America for a while, I think. Um, Julie worked on Da Vinci's Demons, that show. Pretty sure they're back in the UK now. They're both working on the His Dark Materials adaption that I think is out in December. But yeah, mirrors, that's the sum of things, as he was saying. With that Rex skepticism about whether people just knowing about concentration camps is enough to stop them or anything, I think Miracle Day handles some of the ideas years and years, which we also did six podcasts on, uh, did a little better. The idea of a comfy society descending into totalitarianism, you know, like by a hair's width. Like he says in the writer's tale, this is an idea he's long been obsessed with. And he acts like he was saving it for one show, but really it's, you know, it's in Children of Earth, it's in Miracle Day, it's in years and years. I'm sure it crops up in some of his other work as well. So he's very much- in Doctor Who a few times. Yeah, yeah. Miracle Day is probably the most escalated form of it, isn't it? Because we get, we get the time skip, we get the global depression, and we get, you know, like this total, like martial law rule and stuff like that. And everything just going, to hell basically whereas in yeah. both children children of earth it's somewhat truncated like takes place within five days and in years and years yeah we, yeah, we get that so 
Yeah, Miracle Day is almost like the, the biggest RTD ever goes with that idea. Well, excepting Doctor Who, of course. Yeah, turn left and... Uh, uh, yeah. Not even turn... I was thinking of Last of the Time Lords, specifically. Too, yeah. But yeah, turn left does it too, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> God, if he had nuked Shanghai at the end of Miracle Day, that would have just been an even further... God, I'm so upset that you told me that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That I, It feels kind of off to me that he would kill Shanghai instead of, like, Cardiff. Like, I don't know, there's just something about when it's not, you know, the country you're riding in or the country... Yeah, it, it's <laughs> weird. If it was LA, I'd feel like it was less weird because at least most of Miracle Day was in America, but just randomly going to Shanghai and blowing it up is... Yeah, it feels Treating a foreign city as a disposable commodity is very... Yeah. You know what? It's very American, but it's also very British. We get it from there. It reminds me of that, that lady in Shanghai who talks to Gwen in the finale and, like, basically just says things like, door bad, many ghosts, oh, sad girl, mm. and sort of provides you know, mystic you know, Asian wisdom to Gwen. It's so, it's kind of orientalist and just weird. Like, what were they thinking with that? Can, can we talk about Jack? I want to talk about Jack. Yeah. I like yeah. Jack. I want to talk about Jack. <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay, okay. We're going to talk about Jack. So, obviously, we have series one, two, and three of Torchwood, uh, developing Jack, building them up into this sort of, a version different than we'd seen in Doctor Who. Basically, the sort of cultural consciousness when it comes to Jack is they have this, people have this perception of him that he's um, this sort of they, they, they break him down to his, his base elements, which is he flirts with everyone and sleeps with everyone and all this stuff. And, and that's essentially when you see anyone talk about Jack, that's basically it. And, you know, that is part of him. That's fine, obviously. Um, but I, I feel it's 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 kind of... People who, who view him like that, I tend to think, have only watched Doctor Who. Because when we come back to it, he's, he's a sort of more serious character in Torchwood and he has this... He has more depth to him. Miracle D seems to almost... I'm, I'm going to like talk about this, but I have to make it absolutely, completely clear that when I'm talking about this, I am talking about Jack as a character, and in no way am I trying to make a moral judgement or any sort of judgement on anyone, because this is specifically about Jack, and I certainly Sounds don't exciting. have... Yes, I certainly don't have any negative opinions about anyone, okay, who has, you know... All that okay, stuff's getting cut. Fuck you! <laughs> I do. I do have to make that super clear because I think it, it, it's it's almost something like you never talk about because you don't want it to come across like you are trying to judge. You made yourself very clear. Um, You're not making a condemnation. You're contextualizing it for Jack. Exactly for Jack specifically. Okay, so before uh, Torchwood series one and two, we do have this perception of Jack as a sort of like he has he has also like a sort of playboy sort of type <laughs> that sort of martinis in his ship on the empty child yeah yeah, when he talks yeah. To Rose in fun Jack yeah fun Jack overly flirty sort of Jack is is, is an aspect that the only John could do so well and ha- not have it come across as like too much or or whatever so that's absolutely I love Doctor Who Jack um, but as he goes into Torchwood and as things sort of you focus on him specifically as a character, you see a more serious side of him. And I notice, interesting enough, especially um, within those first two series, but specifically when we get into like uh, series two and Children of Earth, you don't really have that aspect of him. And, well, you do, but it's but it's not in the same way that you see it in Doctor Who. He's not like sort of flirting with everyone that's around him. Um, and I would argue that probably for Jack, series two was like his, his happiest time. Um, not when Owen died, <laughs> um, but in, you know the sort of and reset. 
Yeah, and but even even after Owen's sort of story is dealt with and has has you know when you look at things like something borrowed you know because also that's after the Owen arc but Owen sort of made peace with himself and so so everything before and after like excluding exit wounds you know before and after the Owen death arc is probably like Jack's a good place he's got his he's got his Torchwood family everything's good he's with Yanto everything is nice and 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 I feel like you you just don't see that aspect of him where he's like he's he's uh Indulging himself, I guess, and I mean this specifically also to things like alcohol, because um, and uh, and Torchwood we've just discussed this before. Like, um, there is a there is a thing in Torchwood where essentially, if you see Jack drinking alcohol, is a shorthand for him being sad. That's basically how you should take it, mm-hmm. um, because that's how it's intended. What? You can Hi. you can use the commentary corner for this to talk about Jack's uh, alcohol yes. thing. I'm sitting in the commentary corner. Okay, so when uh, in the commentary for series one, Captain Jack Hartness, uh, John Barrowman talks about how initially in the series one episode one there was going to be a line from Jack about how he only drinks water, um, but that was cut from the final transmission, um, and. <laughs> But John says that, and I sort of disagree with this, but with what he's saying, but I also get what he's saying. <laughs> so he says that essentially that that because that line was cut, it doesn't make it as significant the few times you do see him drinking alcohol, mm. um, and it, which which I disagree with because yeah. obviously you do if you notice it, then it is very clear. Um, so because obviously in other scenes. Any scenes, even if they're out sort of celebrating, like they're with the team, they're at a bar or whatever, Jack will always be drinking water, you know. Um, but the few scenes where he is sad, and for example, in Captain Jack Hartness, he goes to his office and he has a drink at the end and stuff, it seems like that he's obviously, he's obviously, he's drink, drinking alcohol. And so, so it is ultimately a shorthand for Jack is sad if you see him drinking alcohol. And that's why, for example, yes, in, those, in those moments when he's sad, he's what us. Uh, fans of Chimnall would call a martini sipper. <laughs> Shut up. I mean, it's, it's the same thing in The Doctor Dances, too, isn't it? Yeah. Where not only yeah. he's drinking because he thinks he's about to die, but he also reveals that uh, he got drunk with his executioners. So, yeah. that is how he's always um, approached death. Basically, I feel like the sort of sort of part of Jack that is very hedonistic, um, that is very indulgent, and the sort of but the part of him that's very indulgent and sort of very much into physical pleasures, and that's including alcohol and sex. Um, I feel like with his development in Torchwood, these are aspects of him that don't that he doesn't really indulge in when he's happy. In series one and series two, well, less so series one, I'd say series two, because that's when he's the most comfortable, his sort of secret about being immortal is out, and, you know, he's with Yanto and everything's good. Um, so, Jack is in a sort of committed relationship with Yanto, he doesn't drink, he doesn't, you know, all this stuff, he doesn't indulge in that sort of aspect of himself that, that is popularly considered to be a core part of Jack, and certainly it can be, and I think I think sort of in his younger years it was, you know, so I'm not saying like it is like absolutely any time he, he acts like this he is sad, but in the context of Torchwood again. So um, basically what I'm trying to say is that, that that sort of Doctor Who 
personality thing or um it's it's considered a core part of him but in Torchwood when you really think about it it is not so it is fascinating that when you get to Miracle Day Miracle Day he, it seems almost like a character regression because he goes from obviously um, a, from a sort of committed relationship and a, not drinking and certainly never getting drunk while he's while he's on missions essentially um, to actively going out to a bar getting almost blackout drunk and you know uh, having sex with a stranger and everything which again I have to make it so clear that there's nothing wrong with this okay like I cannot stress that enough anyway um, but but for Jack this is also like different from how he'd, how he'd been acting like in series 2 and series 1 yeah. and everything he's he's indulging this sort of um, this hedonism because as what I would say is this sort of coping mechanism I think that this is made even more clear by the fact that um, he has the phone call with Gwen, and he's he's basically lying in bed, um, alcohol on the nightstand next to him, um, and he's crying. He's basically crying down the phone to Gwen, yeah. essentially begging her to sort of reassure him that she is there for him and that he's not completely alone and everything. Because obviously, coming off of Children on Earth, um, and we've talked about this in the series three podcast. Um, losing Yanto like was obviously it was horrible for him it was like it, it sort of was the sort of thing that pushed him to leave Earth and everything so um, and I think it's so significant as well that Yanto gets a mention in that scene yes. uh, and mm-hmm. the, the Miracle Day scene because it, it, it brings you back to the fact that, that Jack, Jack is not happy and all of Miracle Day Jack is not happy um, much and, like the audience yeah, <laughs> much like the audience. So, so having these scenes of um, of seeing him like essentially regress, and um, in terms of his development, and sort of almost go back to sort of immature Doctor Who sort of personality. Yeah, with Alonso. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, the regression started with Alonso, didn't it? End of time. Oh, you know, he was yeah. shagging Alonso at the bar. But, yeah, but yeah. but that's like a but that's like a post children of earth. That's essentially post children of earth. That's what Jack is is like. He's he's fucking miserable, um, and he's he's sort of indulging himself to, to sort of shut out the pain, I guess. Um, yeah. And like I said, like you see in the sort of end of time scene with at, at a bar drinking alcohol, and then Alonso comes along and everything. And I think with Jack, so much of his sort of character is 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 almost false um it's it's very put on what was i reading i was reading uh one not that it's super relevant i was reading a novel uh one of the tortured novels last night and interesting enough it did um there is a it was actually about written by james goss i think who ended up essentially show running the yeah for a series show and quotation audio runner audio runner for series five and six yeah it was it was a novel by him and there's like just brief references to it where jack is essentially in a very bad situation and he he's just come back to life and he's not feeling good um but there's a line where essentially he he says 
that he's ra- relying on his backup personality, which is when he mm. turns on the charm and jokes around and everything. And but but in the context of the novel, that's not how he's really feeling. He's just sort of you know it's a front almost. And I feel like a lot of Jack in general is a front, which is you know I think that applies for his Doctor Who characterization as well. It is a front that is in a sense it's not truly him. Even even just physically, a lot of Jack is the front. <laughs> What do you mean? Is that a penis joke? <laughs> was, was that, that, was that a joke? Or... Yeah. <laughs> interpretation. Okay. Classical I'll let the viewers decide. <laughs> let the viewers decide what he means to that. Um, but because I would have said that, in fact, um, a lot of what Jack prefers to focus on is the, uh, the rift, the crack, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> that is a superior joke. <laughs> it's getting very yeah. crude, isn't it, all of a sudden? It's all getting quite sordid. <laughs> Well, it's gonna get We're worse. talking about Jack. These are backup personalities in response to what Code's saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a coping mechanism. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so I think Jack he puts on this front and he 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 isn't sort of a lot of the time when he is being jokey, especially post Children of Earth. There is there is an element to it that's that's very false. Um, yeah. Because because we know we know he's secretly miserable, um, and I think even even it can be extended back. Also, series one of Torchwood and everything. He he does have that sort of because he's got that air of mystery, especially back then. Nobody in the team really knows him. Um, he does have that sort of nobody really understands him. He's just got this sort of you know all this charm yeah. and everything, but nobody knows the actual depth of him. Which I think is he, he's he's so fascinating his character, and I think I think Yanto knew the depth of him. <laughs> Thanks. See, that, that yeah, was, he did. He did. I see what you mean. Um, yeah, he's. It's yeah. It's. Uh, I think you're right. Miracle Day makes it very, very clear, as in puts it in the text that we are meant to make this comparison. Um, in episode seven, so he's talking about the Doctor, telling Angel about the Doctor and how the Doctor had a companion and everything. And in that conversation, Jack frames himself as the Doctor, and then Angelo asks or whatever wants to be his companion so I really love that episode 7 made it so clear because it's something you should be aware of by this point anyway that Jack is is a a Doctor Mirror slash Parallel Um, but to have it spelled out for you is so good and so fun and I just thought you know it was it was fascinating for me especially but but it's a lot of the things when it's like the sort of putting on a front to hide the secret loneliness is very much of a doctor thing to do yeah, and absolutely. it's just so so to have that aspect of Jack is really fascinating and having it sort of in comparison to a character we know very well <laughs> the scene where they actually arrive at the field place where Jack's gonna be killed and Gwen asks him you know what's the most beautiful thing he, you've ever seen and he's, he has that anecdote about the firebird and how it's like it's it it's it's so bright and so beautiful and it it only lasts for like two seconds like a few seconds or whatever but once it dies and fades you still got the sort of imprint of it like because it was so it was so bright big metaphor for people that jack loves just saying anyway yeah, of course yeah 
<laughs> even the show itself, I'm not even like trying to be funny here, but I think that kind of metaphor works for things like the media, like the show in general and that, because what Jack says is it burns so brightly that even when it dies, it's imprinted on your retinas, you know, longer than it ever lived. Like we're, t- we're t- yeah. discussing this season like eight years later. I, I, so I think it's a really yeah. beautiful metaphor applicable to a few yeah. things. Yes, Miracle yeah. Day will truly live forever in our hearts, even if it didn't make the slightest will, cultural imprint. It will never die. Yes. It's, uh-huh. um, Miracle Day, for all its flaws, was really, really good to Jack and developing yeah. him, and and it yeah. made so much sense coming off the back of Children of Earth because I was so scared to start watching um, Miracle Day because I was terrified that they would regress him, but not in a way that was intentional or significant yeah. but but every way that he did sort of regress and like in the sense that he becomes more guarded and he sort of goes back to acting how he was prior to sort of that time of happiness in series two and everything um that all that all stuff it, it just feels intentional it just feels the natural progression for jack um so yeah i really love that there's, there's one bit where i feel that kind of more serious and darker jack kind of flashes back which is um when he's when he's tied up in the car with gwen you get that amazing conversation between the yes, two of them yes. where um which is also a brilliant scene for gwen of course and gwen i think gets lots of good stuff in miracle day but um i love that scene where um gwen kind of t- talks about how she started to love it with torchwood and how even when people died even when they lost people it made her in this twisted way feel you know more special like she was the survivor and that's so delicious fucked up i love that and then and then um when she when she tells jack that she's willing to see him killed like a dog if it means protecting her daughter jack fires back and saying that you know i i'll rip the skin from your bones right before i'll let go of you know what what i have now that i'm mortal and that's and and also earlier on we see him try to trick gwen into untying him as well so it's like that it's kind of it's so interesting to see that 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 the the dark side of those two characters kind of coming together because we barely we've barely ever seen that in the past episode like it's such a good scene and that's really the point at which like it really crystallizes how well miracle day actually moves the characters forward from children of earth because it could have just not done that it could just have them get on really well the whole time but this is the point where it's it's actually operating on the high level oh god i love everything they did with the sort of original torchwood cast when it came to to character development which is why obviously i wouldn't i would never write miracle day off completely because i feel like it was it was such a necessary sort of um point like if you were going to continue the series which they did series five series six big finish um i felt like you needed you needed something that made sense of of children of Earth. On the character of Gwen, and going back to that scene you were talking about when Jack is drunk and calling up Gwen and talking about Yanto and stuff. Oh, yes. The really interesting thing there is that she hangs up on him, not even that intentionally, but because her family calls and she's talking to them. Yeah. And Jack's whole appeal to her is, you know, we're still the, you know, dynamic duo. We're still the team and together and for each other and everything. And what he's having to cope with now is that... And it's, it's that same conversation in the car about ripping skins off skulls and that. It's that Jack is having to cope with the fact that, you know, he left and Gwen now has higher priorities than him, which are her family, which are Anwen yeah. and Reese. And this interesting thing for Jack is how, yeah, like you're saying, he's so utterly alone now. And this is why he's in a much more depressive state. No Yanto and stuff. And killing Stephen uh, Lyons in years and years. My mistake. Killing Stephen. What even is his surname in Children of Earth? Steve, Stephen, whatever, Harkness in Children of Earth has obviously, you know, had such a huge impact on him. It's why he left Earth in the first place. Yeah. So, Gwen has got this interesting character uh, movement forward where Jack is moving backward in an interesting way. Yes. Although, yeah. the really interesting thing with Gwen is that 
in a way, she's regressing as well. That's why she has that lovely monologue in the car where she's talking about, you know, as far back as the first episode, she knew Torchwood was to toxic and dangerous and it endangers her family and herself. And, you know, it's an unwise idea for all these reasons. But, and this is a really interesting non-Doctor Who-y thing. She's not, she doesn't just like being part of Torchwood to save the world or whatever. She likes doing it because... Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from comparing to Oswald. Um, yeah, that's that's gonna go down badly. But she says it makes her feel important. You know, and it's I exciting. I mean, Clara did Clara did say that twelve made her feel special. I don't think that comparison yeah. is unfounded. Let's talk about Clara, not Oswald. Yeah, it makes her feel important. Oh God! <laughs> I thought you meant Clara Oswald. I'm no. so stupid. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay, gig. Sorry, it's sorry. It's, it's okay, gig. None of us remember Miracle Day, anyways. So yeah, I think that's really interesting for Gwen, and that she's aware of the kind of regressiveness of being part of Torchwood. But she explains, you know, why she loves it, and she's so much more interesting as a character that I'm. I don't like being part of Torchwood just to save the world or whatever. It's because it's intoxicating. Like she's, you know, that's the word she uses. It's, it's. It grabs such a hold of her, you know, and it's the whole interesting story of Gwen is like, I know Julie Gardner says this a lot, it's like the working mother thing of, you know, balancing, prioritizing your family and balancing your work. And this work is something that Gwen loves for, you know, so many reasons. So it's a really interesting thing. And it's another reason, yeah, why I feel like Miracle Day, I th there's another huge reason I'll get into later that I know Gig's a bit skeptical of why I think Miracle Day had to happen. But definitely a big one is now that Gwen has a family, I think we needed to see now that it's not just Reese, it's, you know, a child as well. We need to see if Torchwood re-enters her life and she's part of it. How does that go? How does that drama work? How does yeah. Reese react? How does the baby yeah. react? How does Gwen... <laughs> How does... The baby yeah. probably cries a lot. Does she travel hopefully or does she unravel <laughs> to quite deal? So I, I, there was definitely a direction worth going in. Yeah, uh... uh Back in uh, the, the series uh, one finale, the same conversation comes up with Rose in the in the uh, chip shop with her parent, with her uh, hmm. mom and Mickey, talking about. Admittedly, it's only very slightly different traveling with the Doctor. It's standing up. It's making a choice. It's being important. And then, of course, this is shortly after uh, Davies himself wrote the doctor himself saying that he's not just a survivor, he's the winner. So in this way, surviving Torchwood makes her yes. very yeah. special. It makes her the yeah. victor. Absolutely. She I get what you're saying. Yeah. That's a great point. She I love that. She also has a line sort of referring to this um, viewpoint, I guess, not as clearly, but in Children of Earth when she's speaking to Rupesh and and they're talking about the woman who who's a Christian and then the alien life appeared and she killed herself yeah. um, because it made her life feel smaller and then Gwen says that, that she went through that um, and it's, it's but it's, it makes it all brilliant. But then it's like she says, so the whole world, world is bigger. My life is bigger. You know, that sort of... It's, it's, there's, and, I, and I love that about Gwen. It's like the idea that, in a sense, that as much as she is a hero and she's, so, she's got this great depth of empathy and care for others, when you sort of peel back the layers and you get down to the core of it, in a sense, her place in Torchwood is selfish almost yeah. um but but it's yeah. a selfishness that it's a selfishness that that is is ultimately like it, it's in a sense not bad because she, the, 
she's there for selfish reasons but the work she does is selfless because obviously she does have this empathy and she has so she, you know she cares about people and she she has the heart of the team in a sense so um so like it's, it's not a bad thing that she is selfish about it but it's but it's it's a nice little sort of insight into it, like how her you know it it's not entirely selfless, basically. Yeah, it's I, we. I'm, obviously, we can't talk about it here, but code isn't it so interesting how this is developed in uh, season five? All the stuff yes. we're talking about, yeah. so fascinating. Where they go with that? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, if I can diverge and digress a little bit, um, I've, I've got to bring up the other reason I feel like Miracle Day had to happen, and you know, this reason Gig despises that I that I try and sell. Uh, was is that an accurate assessment, Gig? Do you know uh, what well, if if it's if it's to do with I, I won't spoil it, but yeah, I'd say that's more. I don't want. To, well, I don't know if I despise it, but I am definitely skeptical. The reason I think Miracle Day had to happen is because I think Torchwood always needed, if not a season, at least a significant story in America. I think this was an inevitable thing that had to happen in Torchwood, and the reason for that is because Torchwood is, you know, explicitly um, the first idea for Torchwood is from this idea. Russell T Davies had before Doctor Who for a show called Excalibur, which was basically just Buffy in the UK. His idea was always taking these Joss Whedon shows, these American shows, and do- doing them as Russell T Davies, doing them in the UK. Welsh spin on American television was, you know, this idea. CSI Carter. CSI Carter. Yeah. yeah. First episode of Torchwood. Ve- measuring the velocity of your kebab. Like the novelty and humour and kind of premise of the show was always, what if America but Wales? You know, which is all well and good, and it's done very well a lot of the time. But I'd argue Torchwood had Torchwood. <laughs> well, that's telling. Torchwood had a lot of significant, unique stuff to it that wasn't just doing American stuff in Wales. You know, I think it had a lot of stuff of its own that made it a really great and worthwhile show at times in the first three series. But I think to kind of test the tenability of the premise, it had to actually go to America and say, "So if we took all these ideas of doing American tropes in that, and we actually did them in America." Are we good enough? Is the show good enough? Are the characters strong enough that it could still feel novel and good? Good in all the ways that Torchwood is, if we remove that novelty. If it was just in America, could it still feel like Torchwood and could it still be worth watching? Uh, And the answer is no. Yeah. (laughs) Terrible bit is I don't think Miracle Day quite says yes, but I think it was a question that had to be asked of the show and it's a huge shame. I don't think the season is... Tremendous yes that I wanted to hear. It's like Cyberwoman in that respect. It's something that had to happen, whether yeah. or not the ultimate. Ultimately, it's something that didn't work out, but it had to happen, and they kind of did their best. Well, your, your silence is tearing me apart here. I I wonder if um because we talked earlier about how for RTD the purpose of torture and the nature of it transformed post-Children of Earth, into being this somewhat different thing. Like, certainly the whole uh, Buffy model has been kind of left in the past by that by then. So with Miracle Day, I'm not sure if Miracle Day is actually answering the question you want answered uh, at all, even if it's not necessarily like, saying yes to it. I think, I think what, what you... What you we're not really getting that classic Torchwood transposed to America so much as a few dribs and drabs of it. So Jack and Gwen transposed into something that is more conventional in some ways, like the whole conspiracy thriller thing. Like that's just sort of taken almost 
wholesale from the American kind of cliche basket. So uh, 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 you you still get nice kind of Welsh bits of torture. Then those bits are actually those bits are good. I say those bits still work in the kind of Americanized setting. So that's kind of a yes. Those bits are a yes, but I'm not sure overall if it's being that useful in terms of using America to evolve torture. Firstly, that's why. It's interesting to me that the head writer of Miracle Day was Jane Espenson, who's, you know, from these Joss Whedon shows, from Buffy. If this series was kind of more procedural and, you know, Buffy-esque and more like series one or two, it would be really interesting to see an actual Buffy writer writing this kind of Buffy knockoff. I wonder how that would have felt. That would have been so fascinating to see. It would have been like uh, someone from <laughs> someone from the wilderness era of Doctor Who writing Doctor Who, which is obviously what happened. So, could have been really good. Who knows? Uh... The finale, the bloodline, it's interesting to me because it's very much, it feels so Welsh and Russell T Davies to me, the whole setup of it, you know, this giant, extremely yonic, bizarre structure in the earth, you know, with the blood going through it and it's the antipodes and all this, you know, kind of Doctor Who-y nonsense. And, and Jack does and resolve it the exact same way he did End of Days by posing in sort of cruciform and going, ah, or something comes out of his chest. Very more classic Torchwood, which is interesting. Um, as as for the whale scenes, what's interesting is because this season was uh, plotted out all in advance, they got pretty much nine scripts done, you know, on time and earlier before they started filming. They were going to do all the Welsh filming in Wales. You know, they had three weeks allotted for filming there, and so they got the first episodes, first nine episodes scenes in Wales. They actually filmed in Wales, and they had a Russell T Davies and Julie Gardner decided. They could not do any UK exteriors in America because it would look wrong. The lighting would look wrong. The bricks would look wrong. It just wouldn't be authentic and it would be a really shitty thing to do for a Welsh show and all the UK fans. Uh, so, you know, that's all well and good. But because episode 10 was such a mess and finished late and everything, all the Welsh scenes in that episode, which are like PC Andy in the concentrate, the overflow camp place and all that, they were all filmed on the Warner Brothers lots in America. So they had to fly <laughs> Wait, Welsh people they out. flew Andy out yep, to they, America? They flew Andy and they flew um, <laughs> Gwen's dad's actor and everyone. So they had to do that on, you know, a famous Warner Brothers soundstage. Andy uh, got a holiday. Yeah, because of um, late writing the episodes. It's a really nice backlog too. It's a lot mm. of fun. I understand it's since burned down, which is a shame. But that concludes my two points. It became three points. And, you know, you said to me at one point, actually, that you love the visual like, style of... Oh, I do. Marco, yeah. I I don't give a shit about it. I mean, it, it looks nicer. Of course it does, and it's more HD. And, but, but it's the same... Right, it's the same issue with, uh, you know, Doctor Who. I'm going from, like, to series 11 series 11 is very insistent on sort of a you know netflix inspired and all that stuff that that sort of visual style it feels so lifeless compared to the sort of share low budget sort well, of thing that the, well, the thing the thing with miracle well, day's style is for the first few episodes they were using um wide angle lenses and stuff like that and they had better cameras in general and they are Oh, I'm not going to bore you with all the transcoding shit, but yeah, it, it looks much better. You'll notice this, you know, especially if you have the Blu-rays, how much better it looks because um, of better cameras and better working on it and whatnot. But after the first few episodes, they went, they went back to using <clears throat> the traditional long lenses and practical, practical yeah. lighting that the first three series of Torchwood used. So uh, most of the like the second half of the series is actually filmed very much the same way um, the first three yeah. series was. And you can tell because you get so much more um, cl more close shots on the characters' faces and much less of the 
wider framing of people that we get, especially in the premiere episode, which was directed by a director who only did that episode for series four. The interiors I, feel very I've different only... in the last half, too. Mm. Yeah, but that's, that's just true now that you're saying it. But um, I've only really rewatched the early, like, th- first three episodes. Mm. Series one and two were Murray Golds, who composed the uh, Chris Eccleston, David Tennant, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi years of Doctor Who. And who else uh, was doing... Who was doing series one and two uh, with... Was it Ben Foster was with yes. uh, Murray? Yeah. yeah. And then third series, Children of Earth, was all Ben Foster. Series four went back to Murray Golds, um, and he had an assistant composer with him. And you can tell. Yeah. Uh, Let me be honest. You can tell right away. There's a very... Um, uh, uh, um, Goldian-esque... Well, Goldian, but I was going to say Doomsday-esque uh, guitar riff. Yes, that's what I like. Angelo dies. Yeah, what I like about the Miracle Day music is Murray was clearly trying to kind of Americanize it a bit. We get so much of the electric guitar, like with the wah wah pedals and stuff around. Especially Oswald, he gets the guitar stuff around him all the time. I like that the music, because it could have felt just like series one and two, since it was you know one of the two same composers of that. But I like that. Um, he kind of did a bit of that. There's even a piano theme we get that feels awfully close to Owen's series two theme, but a lot of it he was trying for a new style as well. And I guess that's Miracle Day in general was you know had the DNA of the old show, but it was trying to do new things, perhaps not to great effects. But honestly, I feel yeah. like if Miracle Day was good, I don't think we'd be caring as much that this didn't feel like classic Torchwood. You know, if it was good, yeah. we'd be saying, "I hope yeah. the next thing might feel like this," but it wasn't that good, and so we're not saying that. The composer for. Um Torchwood on audio actually talks a bit about themes and stuff like the musical themes Blair and Mowat. themes He's for great. series five. Yeah, he says Miracle Day was more sort of electronicy, yeah, sort of thing. I'm going to talk about Rex now because, well, none of you are going to be able to stop me. <laughs> uh, got no choice. So Rex Matheson. Rex Matheson. I have. Uh, a very love-hate relationship with Rex. I used to pretty much just not care about the character because I had barely any interest in Torchwood in general. And of them, of the main Torchwood cast, I only cared about Jack, and even then only because he was in series one of Doctor Who. But, um, and I just thought of Rex as a bland ripoff of Jack Bauer from 24. Only, um, yeah. not not white and not old and not intimidating or interesting. But since then, I've sort of come to reconsider, and especially on this latest rewatch. God, I love Rex Matheson. He's hilarious. <laughs> Specifically, the way I see it is, every writer has their own somewhat fractured take on him. And the only two writers that really make him work are Jane Espenson, who can seemingly write anything. Yeah, she's great. And Davies, of course. And what Davies does with Rex is... is Davies makes Rex into this perfect foil for Jack. Because he is the American secret agent. He's... And I also would point out that a lot of the more homophobic content involving Rex is not written by Davies. 
he's yeah. much more of a of a impulsive character. He gets fixated on things. He chatters uncontrollably. He's so fun as a Davies character, and I, God, I wish I could have seen more of Davies' take on Rex. I wish I could have seen <sighs> probably the best non-Davies and non-Espenson uh, Rex scene is in um, episode uh, six, I think, when he's chained up and uh, arguing with uh, a camp director Colmer, Colin, Colin Maloney. Colin. Colin Maloney, thank you. And, I mean, that's a, a great scene, but it's very noticeable, even on the first watch, just how stupid Rex seems in that scene, because he's not noticing that Colin is obviously planning on killing him and trying to find some way to do it. Which is such a, a beautiful... For that uh, character, Colin, it's an amazing scene. It's one of you know, the best scenes in the series. But it's so out of character for Rex that he would be so stupid in that scene. But I really wish we could have seen Davy's take on that. I choose to believe that Rex is exactly as immortal as Jack and will live forever so that someday in the future we can have a uh, reunion, which I would love because I have officially converted to the church of Jack's shipping. <laughs> I and so I've been, I've been absolutely incensed with you, Code, this entire time. Every time you talk well, shit about the American characters, I just I grit my teeth a little harder, and just try to ignore it. But I can't. Is, I see. I cope. I'm. Uh, I'm verged. To to make you happy, there is um there is a singular Jack and Rex fan fiction available for you. Written before, oh, written before the, written before the series even aired, based entirely really? on set photos and <laughs> what few trailers they had. <laughs> I I've not read it. It's pretty short, but um, but the content's there for you. It's possible that I wrote it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh, half asleep, sort of typing it up. Yeah, of course. That's how I'm writing my Thasmin stories. Oh God. No, don't mention Thasmin. He'll go off his shit. Are we praying that Big Finish never gets the rights to Rex? Or will they do like a oh, prequel no. box set where they kill him off? Well, you guys keep saying that the Torchwood stuff that Big Finish is doing is good, so sure, why not? Can you talk about what scenes made me cry? I'll tell you what scenes made me cry. Uh, <laughs> there is one scene, and it made me cry. Um, when he's speaking, Jack is speaking to old dying Angel, <laughs> and... It was was this only scene? Maybe there was another one that made me cry. I don't remember, but I just remember losing it over this one. And he asks, uh, and he finds out Angelo had been watching him um, his whole life. And then he asks, he's like, he's talking to me, and he's like, did you see him? Did you see Yanto? I, I fucking lost it. <laughs> I was a mess. I don't know why it hit me so hard. It was just, uh, yeah. I know why. <laughs> Because it's about a Yanto. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, I cried at a point in Miracle Day as well, and it was in the finale. <laughs> when the plot was. was revealed to be all <laughs> typical <laughs> Russell T. Davies' New World Order conspiracy theory <laughs> shit. 
Neil, absolutely seething. In series one of Doctor Who, the Slovene, the Tony Blair, Iraq War stuff, and then in the long game and the series one finale, the Daleks and Satellite 5 and all that. And then it's in years and years as well with, you know, Vivian Rook's connections and all this kind of stuff. RTD seems to really like this stuff, you know, commenting on or parroting on or just outright using these tropes of New World Order, you know, the secret Illuminati conspiracy of people that are in control of everything. And I hate it in Miracle Day because what Miracle Day was working with well was like what the Ghostbuster says in episode six, The Middlemen, that, you know, the whole system is corrupt and this individual evil enabled by it, like that Colin guy who shoots Vera and that horrific, he's so utterly despicable. It really freaks me out, that stuff. The system isn't the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's the, the middlemen who use and exploit the system, that's the problem. Well, that's, it's like, the, what the series was doing kind of interesting was, you know, showing how the movie yeah. exacerbates the problems of the system, you know, and like it empowers people like Colin because this is the way the system is set up, that this kind of institutional corruption you know, happens and is so like kind of naturally coded into how these systems work and everything like that. But then at the end, it's just, oh, there's actually, you know, these secret three families and they've been manipulating everything for so long to cause this. And I just hate it because it's so incongruent with, you know, any kind of meaningful understanding of the world. The climax of the series, like this revelation that these secret mafia families drop some blood down two sides of the earth. Like, what? Like, who cares? Oh, this is terrible. has nothing to not do good. with the rest of the series. Yeah. Can you imagine how utterly shit Children of Earth would have been if they revealed at the end that the whole thing was part of a New World Order plan to, to, uh, to make the Earth devolve into fascism? Yeah. Can you or imagine for that, that matter, ooh, or for that matter, if the 456 hadn't shown up until day five. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, the point. <laughs> It's so stupid. Hey, 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 Neil. Hey. hey. Yeah, hi, um, hi. Uh, we'll talk about no. We'll talk about it in series five, actually. Uh, podcast. Um, because <laughs> sorry, something the audios do. A plot uh, line the audios do. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Does it yeah. have something to do with the three families? Mm, no, no. Mm. Sounds like a yes. <laughs> what we can say, what we can say definitively, that Miracle Day is a perfect example of why nothing good was ever designed by committee. <laughs> perfect, perfectly done. Something interesting, different in the Welsh scenes versus the American scenes to me is specifically how the overflow camps are realised, and that in the American ones, we have this evil Colin figure that. Uh, shot Vera we're talking about who you know hides what the burning ovens are for and you know even that soldier with him Ralph asks what it's for and he's always told don't ask questions or whatever but meanwhile over in the Welsh camps everything's much everyone more everyone knows everything's yeah and they know it's this willful kind of ignorance like this doctor Gwen is talking burn to just, just kind of turns it away and yeah it's called a burn unit and she just it's like this I'm just following orders thing and it's this interesting this chaos versus order and it's both evil just in fascinatingly different ways that I guess uh, RTD or whoever was writing these episodes trying to realise kind of these cultural differences uh, I thought that was quite fascinating good point about just following orders Andy Davidson uh, at the end of uh, episode one that's how he acts when he's when they're mm. when they're doing the rendition thing they because mm -hmm. he that he basically says doesn't it he's just following orders yeah um, yeah a lot of people say that in this. Because I love, I love Andy. Ties into the, so uh, the whole thing of complicity, which is one of my favorite themes in this series. Speaking of words starting with C, I've got a final commentary corner regarding Andy and complicity. <gasps> and what it is is originally I'm so excited. in earlier drafts of the finale, 
and I forget why they didn't realize this. I don't think it was not enough money. I think it was, um, oh, yeah, uh, they said it was distracting from the main bloodline stuff. But originally, you know, when he's in that kind of bunker camp yes. with uh, Gwen's father and everyone, and that's, you know, where we finally see him die when the breath happens and everyone, death is returned to the world. Well, originally, because he knows Gwen and the Torchwood team are, you know, doing something to try and stop the miracle, uh, the staff come into, like, the bunker and are trying to take the bodies to burn, like Gwen's father to burn everything, and Andy pulls his gun on them and threatens them, you know, to stay back, and that he's going to protect these people for as long as he can, because he knows Gwen is trying to do something. And Why? They, Why? They Why? cut it in the end because the they thought not Why? only was it... Uh, they didn't like how it sat in the episode. So they never even shot this, but in the script, they didn't like how it sat in the episode because they thought it was distracting from the Rex and the Jack, you know, settings. But also because I wish it was distracted was, from that. It was. They thought it was too reminiscent of um, Children of Earth, you know, where the yeah, whole plotline with fair. him and Gwen are trying to hold off the military just for as long as they can to protect children, as so, as so Jack might have a bit more time to try and solve the issue. But- I get, I get the point, but the problem with having Andy be complicit in Miracle Day is that he does have that moment of, I you know, and yeah. Children of Earth. Even that just one scene there, if that had been in the episode, it would have solved the issue of Andy having yep. been complicit this entire time. Which brings me to something that I'd like to talk about, I'd like to complain yes. about, yep. which is the entire treatment of death in Miracle Day. Yes. The way that it starts out with such a strong and vibrant and fascinating concept and then it just falls apart people just start dying again essentially within the narrative people are dead well even in episode one when they shoot down the helicopter when gwen shoots down that chopper yeah those people know, are still alive yeah on like the commentary they talked away. about putting like screams of them over like in the audio and they decided against oh, it because it was distracting or something but i felt like you're kind of betraying the concept of the show if you basically just yes. kill people like when the whole idea is you can't kill people we should have seen their burnt bodies or heard them screaming when gwen and jack smile to each other or something would have made the moment more interesting and disturbing yeah but on this on this notion of death being underused as a concept in the series there's this great article on um the eradatorumpress.com by uh it's Jill Barado, who's uh, Elizabeth Sandifer's wife and who's a nurse that especially specialises in end-of-life issues, uh, called Miracle Day and Death. And the whole thing is basically about, because uh, she works with, you know, the patients dying and, you know, the whole concept of death and everything. That was How, a really upsetting article, yeah. yeah the this, this series misses a trick because the interesting thing about the miracle is that it should be like the logical endpoint to this pathologizing death we do in culture where you know this anti-euthanasia stuff we're all about we've got to prolong life as long as we can no matter the quality of life just the concept of life is so important people need to live in you know impossible pain or you know brainlessness because alive being alive is always better than death is this idea very embedded in a lot of cultures that's you know yeah she argues and i'd agree is you know very flawed uh, and the interesting idea, which, you know, Vera, the doctor in Miracle Day, you know, touches on is this is silly because, you know, it's these lives that people are living because they can't die anymore are not good lives in a lot of places. And obviously the solution isn't to burn them alive, you know, especially when it's done for political reasons, the category zeros and things. But this idea of prolonging life is not being inherently good and as an opportunity to explore the real world concerns of this obsession with life at all costs and the way that's flawed, that would be a really good place to have taken the miracle consistently. But it doesn't really. And even Vera, the Doctor herself, has this line of, we don't deserve the miracle. 
because of how we, you know, treat people. Yeah. Even that is treating the miracle like something good in the first place, which I'd argue it never was because as we discover in like the third episode, people still age. If we, we still age normally, imagine how you would be at like age 200. You know, you see people, you know, even at advanced ages, you know, you know without you the know miracle. You know what you would do. You know, then they could mold rock. You would turn into a giant. <laughs> giant head. You would, you would turn into a giant head. It's frustrating because, yeah, like she says in this article, the series is really well poised to explore these very relevant, interesting concerns. And more, like, you know how Code was saying earlier, like the pedophile stuff with Oswald, is, like, it's very well-trodden ground, you know? This stuff is done in lots of other narratives, and we're very familiar with it just in not even media, like, just real-world narratives. But this idea of, you know, prolonging life is not always good or even horrific. This is a much more rare narrative and a much more interesting narrative. And much more taboo topic. Much more taboo, you know, which is so Russell T Davies, and we don't really get that much of it, which is, you know, a grand shame. Arguably, even Moffat explores it more with his Doctor Who, in Capaldi particularly, with his finales. And the finale, when he's gonna, you know, get shot and puts blood in the big thing, <laughs> the big crack, um... Uh, I thought it was quite fascinating when when Gwen offers to shoot him because I think she says it would, it would never be a suicide for you or something like that. Um, she says she has a line like that, which I think would be interesting, and I think that makes sense enough for Jack's character. I don't think he would ever do that, but I think he would become. See, if ever if ever he was he was mortal enough to be able because he is reckless anyway. But if he was ever made mortal and it stayed that way, I think if he chose to go out, it would probably be he would be get he'd be increasingly reckless because I don't think so I think it was a fascinating little character thing saying her saying that to him but then also does she really know him to that level who knows I think that Jack if ever Jack was going to become mortal permanently he would probably die of old age while saying something really mysterious to the doctor <laughs> hmm yeah that'd be interesting if they did that <laughs> plot line wink wink <laughs> Yeah, it's the thing that's been deprived Jack with his immortality is the ability to... Well, it's the same thing with Ted and Rose, almost. The, the, the Being able to actually just live out a normal life and just have a good death and just, like, a normal death. Yeah. And, like, and, just, and just not having to watch everyone leave him and so on and so forth. So it's like, if he were to become permanently mortal, I think certainly he would not want to have that then, you know, to just be abruptly murdered by some random, you know, conspiracy. Yeah. I think he'd maybe... He, I think he'd maybe at least want to have a proper life, which is what he's never had. Yeah. Another um point connecting back to Gridlock and the face of Bo is the whole idea of Jack's like template, uh, the Earth basing around it, and that becoming like how what all the people are based on and how their lives work. You know, becoming immortal from his blood, his template, and everything that drains away his own energies. You know, and his own existence as a fixed point and whatever is. But that's pretty much what happens in Gridlock because remember how he uses his own life energy, the face of Bo, to sustain. New New York's population until uh, ten, the 10th Doctor manages yeah. to save everyone and then he finally dies. So there's a little interesting DW oh. for you. So, so also, um, Gridlock kind of disproves Gwen's comment that Jack was never going to be a suicide because Face of Bo eventually, essentially sacrifices his own life, doesn't he? Yeah. To, to yeah. save the Gridlock people. So Gwen was wrong all along. Or maybe Jack's yeah. final act was to prove Gwen wrong, that actually he can sacrifice himself <laughs> for real. That seems, that's in character for him. That is totally in character for him. One, le- one last thing about Rex. Uh, I can't help but think that the cliffhanger with Rex becoming immortal, it's it feels to me like one saving throw too many. And what it reminds me of is the cliffhanger at the end of class 
because something similar ended up happening, which is that it didn't get continued or picked up in any way. It's just, we're just like, oh, 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 how can we ask? Okay, we're going to have another immortal, guys, okay? And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's cute in terms of, you know, paralleling Jack and whatever, but at the same time, having, you know, one of the new American characters become an immortal, like, similar to Jack, it just feels like the point in which the premise of Torchwood has been pushed so far that it becomes apparent that they might be out of ideas. Because, yeah. like, really, do we need another immortal? That's the best you've got, and that's supposed to hook us for another season. I'm not it's sure, guys. Let's be honest here. It's the shark. Yeah, a little bit. Um, there, it's like they wanted to make it bigger and bigger and bigger, while forgetting that part of what made Tortured so charming in the first place is that it was small. Something I. Something I kind of note about Miracle Day, and in terms of how it's escalating the scale and all of that stuff, is that what Torchwood itself comes to mean as a concept is slowly morphing, because I'm even further from how it had morphed in Series 3, because I think they say in uh, one of the early episodes, I think um, Rex, basically, in terms of people asking, you know, what the hell's this Torchwood thing, and Rex says it's like it, it's like a code word to connect us. And at another point, um, they, they, they compare Torchwood which basically, I think maybe Jack says that they're freedom fighters, and they say, okay, we're, we're, we're like freedom fighters, and Vera's like, isn't that like terrorists? And I can't help but think that that's a fundamental change in the premise of what Torchwood is, to make them out to be freedom fighters, or rebels, or like, just like this this spirit of resistance, or whatever. Like, yeah, it's a huge change, because because Torchwood started out as this, you know, this imperialist organisation, and we see how in series one and two that this clandestine, like, they're this clandestine thing that's above the police, and they call all these sorts of problems because they're hoarding all this alien technology and series 3 deconstructed that so beautifully by showing how that you know that network of, of systems and surveillance and secrecy how all of that unspooled into a total uh, chaos as soon as the wrong kind of alien shows up so for series 4 to be doing this thing where like actually Torchwood good that seems to me to be somewhat losing sight of what was kind of running through the show up to that point and not to you know delve yeah. into the audience I haven't finished Series 5, I'm not even very far into Series 5 at all, but the audios in generally and James Goss's stewardship of Torchwood kind of takes that takes it back in a maybe a more realistic direction for what Torchwood means. 